Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Brother Gary, we're in a long study of Acts, so we've been just marching through from chapter 1. We're in chapter 15 today. Which followed a long study through the Gospel of Luke. And it's been a blessing to me. I pray it's been for all of us. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask for your blessing. We know that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from you. There's no, not even a shadow of turning. Oh Lord, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Our desire is to be real Christians. Our desire is to truly love you. Our desire is to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Father, it's our conviction that the scriptures are the way to know you and know more about you. Would you bless us now as we look to your word? Protect me from sin and error. Father, my, my desire is to be faithful to your word. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time, just quick refresher, we read verses 19 through 28 of chapter 4. And if you remember, Jews had come down from Antioch and Iconium and turned the heathen against the apostles. This is where the man who was born crippled had been healed. If you remember, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas because this had never happened before. Like, what kind of power do these men have? This man is born crippled. How can you possibly heal him? There's a physical defect somewhere. And they are... Um, really desiring to worship Paul and Barnabas. They think they are some of the gods come down in the likeness of men. And Paul and Barnabas tell them, no way, do not worship us. We're men like you. You think this is by our power we did this? God did it through us. And it says they had, even after saying that, they had a very difficult time restraining the people from offering sacrifice to them. But quickly, the the Jews come down from Antioch and Iconium and turn those same people completely against the apostles. They decide to stone them to death. No trial, nothing. They take Paul, they stone him. And his condition, as we mentioned before, it must have been very poor because they dragged his limp body outside of town and threw it out there and figured he's dead. And we discussed that. How bad do you have to, what, how bad is your condition when people look at you and think you are dead? Bad. Believers gathered around him and somewhat miraculously he rises and goes back into the city. He's not dead. After resting for the night, if you remember we read this, this is amazing to me. The next morning they travel 58 miles to the southeast to Derby. So he is left for dead yesterday. 
Today he's going to walk 58 miles to the next city. And they preach in Derby when they get there. And many people turn from their sins and follow Jesus. And then we discuss this unexpectedly to me. They could have, even though they, they came to their first missionary journey by sea, they could have just gone home from Derby on land. Just keep walking to the east and they could go back to um, Antioch where they had set out from. But the, instead they go back to the cities that they had just come from, where Paul had just been stoned, where they had experienced persecution and persecution in each place. Opposition. And the Bible says that they went there because they wanted to strengthen and encourage those who had believed in the cities. Even though there was much opposition and persecution, they go, listen, in the strength and in the courage of the Lord in order to strengthen and encourage the believers. And then they say, you should expect trials and tribulations as one strives to enter the kingdom of God. Who better to tell them this than one who has just been stoned? And one other reason we read, just to finish up that section. They went back is to appoint elders in every church. The language there shows a plurality of elders. Not as in appoint elders in every church, like one there, one there, one there, all together those are elders. Not that. Multiple in each place. And by the way, somebody recently reached out to our church and asked us what we thought about that. Are we a one pastor church or do we believe in a plurality of elders? And we answered the way we believe. Plurality if possible, but it's not sinful if you only have one, right? We're trying to practice what they did in the early church. And then they decide to come back from their first missionary journey, which we think on the timeline is about two years. So this, the church in Antioch ordains these men. They go out in the Spirit. They preach. We don't know for sure if they've had any news at all from them for two years. Then they come back and the church is super happy and they spend time together and they tell them about what, everything that God had been doing through them. And then the Bible says in verse 28 of 14, they remained no little time with the disciples. So after going across the Mediterranean and coming back, they, it's a good thing for them to be there. This is their sending church. The church in, in Antioch in Syria. Well, that brings us to today's text. We'll read verses 1 through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem 
to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, quote, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment, this is back to James, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Amen. Well, um, Brother Mike, there's a lot of synergy going on here this morning. Um, this idea of yoke just came up. Um, and there, there's another one too, but we'll get to it here in just a second, that came from our responsive reading this morning. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It makes sense that they would think this. It really does make sense. Listen, I am no apologist for Jews, unfaithful Jews in the scripture. 
You know that. I will rail on them all day. And I won't say very often that they were seriously seeking God, but just wrong about Jesus. You won't hear me say that. I'll say it was because of envy that they gave Jesus over to be crucified, not because they were confused. But having said that, it does make sense that they would think you must be circumcised. Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Very strong language. It makes sense that they would think this. It really does. You're not going to require circumcision. That's the sign of being in covenant with God. How can you abandon it? God says very emphatically, you cannot abandon it. But the problem is that was the old covenant. The old covenant is not in effect anymore. Right? The scripture says in making a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Better. But it does make sense that they would think this. And this, listen, this is not even very easy for the church. Two times in this section we are told that they debated for a while before coming to a decision. I mean, don't the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham? I mean, is he the father of the faithful? Well, the father of the faithful, God told him that his descendants should Include the sign of the covenant. But here's the problem. And what, the, what we believe and what the scriptures teach. The physical sign bearing. To, to bear a sign on the outside. While the inside is in opposition with that sign is very bad. To have a sign saying, I belong to God. See it? God sees it for sure, right? A cutting of the flesh. It's an everlasting sign. It, you can't put it back, friends. It's everlasting. But the heart is wicked and not in agreement with this covenant. You see the problem? 
Do you see this? You ever hear people talk about taking the Lord's name in vain? When you say you're a Christian, but then you don't act like a Christian. And you've, in a way, you've taken his name in vain. To bear the sign of the covenant while being far from God in your hearts, it's very bad. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 2. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. It's a sign of the covenant. If you obey the law, good. But if you break the law, the circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Yeah, you have the sign of it, but you're not doing it. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He's saying there's two options here. One, they, they have the physical sign of the covenant, but they don't obey it. And two, they don't have the physical sign, but they obey it inside. The second is preferred, right? The second involves salvation. The first, no. Quote, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. You see, the circumcision is the outward sign of being set apart to God. But if the heart is sinful, that outward sign does not indicate membership in God's grace. It would be great if it could have. But the people were weak, as are we, and could never keep that. God can keep His promise. We can't keep our promise. Right? It's not that they didn't promise. God said, I'll do this if you'll do this. And they said, we will do it. But they didn't. That's the problem. We all know this, right? Promise breakers, we hate it. You promised. Oops, I changed my mind. What? You can't change your mind. You promised. No, I changed my mind. This is why, listen, when you pray and you thank God for things, thank Him that He does not change. We would grope around in the dark in despair if God changed. There's not even a shadow of turning. This is a beautiful idea, by the way. You have an object, and as the sun moves, the shadow on the ground moves. Not even God's shadow changes. He's the same. Outward circumcision is not what's going to make a person right with God. It's, it's the change of heart that's necessary inward change circumcision of the heart and this idea by the way of circumcision of the heart this is not a New Testament invention 
This is not new. It's not a new concept. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Jehovah your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Jehovah your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. This idea of heart circumcision is not an invention of the New Testament. God understands what has to happen to the heart. Yes, there's a physical sign, but God will circumcise your heart so that you will love your God. Physical circumcision, that happened to the child at eight days old. They're not coming into the covenant on their own. Yes, they were obeying God. They ought to do it. And by the way, this is how infant baptism gets confused. Well, the old covenant was inclusive of infants. Shouldn't the new covenant be inclusive of infants? It's the same thing. We've just transferred it. No. The scripture always testifies they heard the word and believed and were baptized. Not saying that 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 isn't beautiful that parents want to bestow a blessing on their children from a very, very young age. That is a good thing to want. But it's in the wrong order. Just wait. Preach to the child. Teach them. God willing, they will repent and experience true baptism. Believers' baptism. Okay, back on track. Sorry. Don't be prideful about that either, by the way. People are confused. You're confused about things too. And if you say, no, not really. Okay, well then why don't you obey better than you do? If you have such good understanding... Let's see it. And the answer is, oh yeah, you're right, Bill. Okay, maybe I should be humble and not judge other people so much. But they they do need to reform that. Verse 1. Excuse me, verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So this is interesting. They talk with him. They debate with him. There's some dissension between them. And what the church decides to do, listen, this is the church in Antioch, right? When we talk about the church... Sometimes we confuse the church with the kingdom of God, right? Brother Gary is a local a member of a local church. Y'all are members of this local church, both members of the kingdom of God. But we are not members of one church. I think people are confused about that. But anyway, in the scriptures, usually when the church is referred to, maybe even every single time, it's local in nature. The local church in Antioch receives these men who say, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. The local church in Antioch, the Syrian version, 
Remember, there's like 19 cities with the name Antioch. So this is the Syrian version of it. They debate. They try to understand this question because the Jews understand circumcision was very important. Very important. When, when they did not obey God and circumcise their children, God was very unhappy. Very unhappy. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. They're seeking more counsel. The church in Antioch says, listen, I know God's using y'all. Y'all go to Jerusalem, meet with Peter and James and the other people who've been there from the beginning and were disciples of Jesus and talk to them about this question too. And this came up in our responsive reading this morning. Proverbs 24. By wise guidance you can wage your war and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Sometimes it says safety. Paul already knows the answer to this question. But the church wants a multitude of counselors. Good. Good. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both um, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. Now, this is not said for sure, but pretty sure they're, they're relaying this to other Jews, not Gentiles. Right. If they were relaying it to Gentiles, why would they go into detail about the conversion of the Gentiles? The Gentiles already know that Gentiles can be saved. So they're going to other Jews and they're telling them about what God has done as they're walking their way back to Jerusalem. From um, Antioch in the north down to Jerusalem in the south. And it brought great joy to all the brothers. Great joy. When they hear of the salvation of the Gentiles, they're happy. Thank, praise God. Verse 4, they arrive in Jerusalem and they receive a warm welcome. They tell the people in Jerusalem all the things God had done through them. Right? Declared all that God had done with them. Like the magician who was struck with blindness because he was trying to poison the mind of the proconsul in Cyprus. Or the man that we've spoken of already who was born crippled but was healed. They relayed some of those things. Verse 5, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now listen, these seem to be legit believers. They're there in the church. Have you ever met a real person that you, you really believe they're a believer, but they've got some bad doctrine? Have you, have you met this? Of course you have. Do you remember your doctrine? 
was poor at some point. But you, if, when you review it, you think, I really think I was a believer at the time. I was just wrong about that. I think that's the case here. These are former Pharisees, still associated with the Pharisees. They've spent their whole lives teaching the importance of obeying the law of God and the law of Moses. And they see Jesus as the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all that Moses is doing. What we couldn't do before, now we can do because Jesus gives us the Spirit. Now that we have the Spirit, let's obey the law of Moses the way we should have. It makes sense, but it's just not true. This is wrong. It's not that Jesus is helping them to obey the old covenant. He is instituting a new covenant in His blood. Yes, there's some continuity between the old and new, but not that much. It's necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So Paul and Barnabas had gone down there to consider the matter. And while just catching up and telling them about what God's doing, other people bring it up. So it's, it's confirmation that they need to have this discussion. They're gathered together to consider the matter after there had been much debate. So you think, I mean, for us, this seems like a very easy question. What's the, why would you ever think you needed to keep circumcision in effect? But it was not that easy for them, it doesn't seem to be. Why didn't Antioch, the church there, tell these people from Jerusalem, y'all are wrong, you don't have to be circumcised? They said, go down to Jerusalem and talk to them about it. They go down there again after there had been much debate. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, Peter says, You know that in the early days, the early days of the ministry, this has been a few, from, from what we think, plus, possibly close to 10 years since the Cornelius dream and ministry to them. So it's been, the church has been growing and going for possibly 10 years. Peter says, You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Very much he's speaking about this dream that he had when he saw the sheep come down from heaven and it had all of what he, what was taught to them by God unclean beasts that were not to be eaten and yet God told him to eat them and the point of it was to say the Gentiles are clean I know you've you've thought they're unclean I'm telling you if I tell you they're clean they're clean And by the way, doesn't this, don't you understand? God was the one who said they were unclean in the first place. Don't do this, don't do that. If there's a leper, move out of the way. Unclean. You know, ladies on the menstrual cycle. Various things in the Old Covenant that produced 
could or had the potential to make someone unclean. If God says, okay, it's not unclean anymore. It's clean. Well, then why would we still say, oh, no, Lord, it's, it ha- I'm not going to change. Right? He's the one who declared it was unclean in the beginning. If now he says it's clean, well, then it's clean. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. The Gentiles are clean by faith. The believing Jews are clean, not because they're circumcised, and not because they're descendants of Abraham, because of their faith. They're clean. There's no distinction. Anyone who believes is clean. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? (laughs) Very interesting that, that you chose take my yoke upon you. This morning. So, yes, he, he touched on that in Bible study. A yoke, you know, it's a, normally two, but you can have more than two oxen, right? But almost always in even numbers. And it's a, it's a wooden apparatus that lets you hook two oxes or two horses together and attach a cart or a wagon or something to it. The idea is there's a load involved. Spurgeon has a great a great essay on the passage that you taught this morning. It said, Come to me, those who are burdened and heavy laden. He says, You have a picture here of a horse that has a rider and that's pulling a wagon, which would be considered cruelty to animals. They almost never rode the beast if the beast was pulling something. It's too much. Jesus says, Are you are you are you heavy? Someone riding you and you're pulling a load? Give it all over to me. I can take it all. It's very beautiful. This yoke is what Jesus was speaking about. My yoke is easy. This is also not new to Jesus. They had spoke about the yoke of the law in Judaism. Are you tired? Are you having a rough time? My yoke is easy. Yes, I require you to do what I say and follow me as a bond slave. But it's easy compared to what yoke you have now. The yoke you have now ends in death. This is also the picture the Bible says about do not yoke yourselves with unbelievers. The idea is if there's a pair, they need to be the same. You don't need to have a a baby cow and a full-grown bull trying to pull a wagon either. That's not going to work very well. If a believer is yoked together with an unbeliever, that's not going to work. 
Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The law was a burden. It, it didn't bring about rest. It brought about labor and guilty consciences that were never cleaned because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, not permanently. What's, what's the solution? God's grace. So Peter relays, don't y'all remember what God did through Cornelius? I didn't know too, but I went and they received the Spirit. How could we deny it? The way that we knew God was saving us is when we received the Spirit. And the same thing for them. They received the Spirit. There's no distinction. God saving everyone. Verse 12, the question has been answered. There's nothing more to say. All the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done. So they basically said, this idea of circumcision, it's, it's part of the burden of the law, and we're not going to put that back on people. We're not going to do that. The question has now been answered. Antioch, they had already had much dissension, right? Paul and Barnabas. You know they were telling them that's not necessary. They go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem church decides the same thing. It's not necessary. We're not going to put that burden back on the people. Verse 13, James seems like he, he could possibly be the main preaching or main elder at the early Jerusalem church. This is not James, the brother of John. James, the brother of John, is dead, having been martyred earlier in Acts. This is James that's referred to as Jesus' brother. Verse 14, Simeon. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, this is a long form, of, according to what I read, a long form of Simon. So Simon is like a short version of Simeon. Never heard that before, but that's what I read. So this Simeon is referring to Peter. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. He's saying, again, this is not new that God's going to save the Gentiles. It's not new. God has already revealed it. This, is, this quote is from Amos chapter 9. He intended to save the Gentiles from of old. If we look there at verse 17, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God didn't decide to save the Gentiles because he changed his mind. Well, I was going to just keep the Jews for my people, but they won't believe. I guess I'll add the Gentiles too. 
I mean, there are, there are things that happen in time, but it doesn't mean that God just decided it then. All the Gentiles who are called by God's name, it's from of old. This is what we believe about God and what the Scriptures reveal. He declares the end at the beginning. At the beginning, He says, this is what I'm going to do. And then He does it. Nineteen through twenty one, finish up this section of today. Therefore, my judgment is we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. So this is interesting. Let's let's focus on sexual immorality first, and then we'll go to the others. In Gentile culture, they did not have the same view about what was kosher for sexual interactions. In in Greece and in that part of the world, pre-conversion, they would have a way different view about this and potentially would not think that it was sinful. Or at least not that bad. Idolatry, oh yeah, bad. Sexual immorality, I mean, everybody's got a girl on the side. Or everybody, well, everybody in our town has two wives. And it's a, it's a difficult question, isn't it? If you had two wives and then you came to know the Lord, do you got to divorce one? Which one? It's, it's a difficult decision. I've heard this in countries now missionaries go there and they it's very hard for them to find elders because elders should be a one woman man but in their city they all have multiple wives it's very very interesting and and growing pains for first generation christianity stay away from sexual immorality it's evil It's not just true for them, but for us. Are you struggling right now with sexual immorality? If you are, stop. Ask God for mercy. Ask God for help. He will help you. He helps us when we call on Him. He cares for us. Pretending like you're not, if you are, that's not going to help anything. If you're an angry person and you yell at everybody and people say, you need to calm down, you say, I am calm. You're not. You need to accept the fact that you're an angry person. If you're struggling with sexual immorality, you need to, you need to um, admit it. And that God would help you and cleanse you of that sin. The other things mentioned here, from things polluted by idols, probably meat is one of these things that could be polluted. What has been strangled and from blood. These things, I think, are not forbidden in the New Testament, but it would be a huge barrier to fellowship between the Jews and the Gentiles. I think that's the the point of these other things that are mentioned. 
I mean, what can we do to help with the Gentile and Jewish fellowship? They're already having a problem that we're not going to circumcise the Gentiles. They're already having a problem that they're not as familiar and not even caring about the law of Moses. The starting points are way different. And if, if they do these things too, it's really going to make it impossible for fellowship. Tell them, no, they don't have to be circumcised. But tell them, stay away from things that were devoted to idols. Don't eat food that is alive. Right? Cook it first. Seems, I mean, seems self-explanatory to us, but, I mean, people like steaks that are still wiggling. Almost. I don't think it's a... I think that's the point, though. This kind of food, yes, all foods are declared clean, but if you eat this around the Jews, then it's going to be a problem. Just... Stay away from that stuff. Don't worry about circumcision. No, that's not required. Don't worry about trying to keep the whole law of Moses. But these few things, just avoid that. And it'll help with fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. And I don't think this is intended to go on in perpetuity. It's growing pains. Like, for example, do you think that Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector had some issues getting along with one another? We never read about them. But I bet you there were some difficulties. You do what? Says Simon the Zealot. You work for who? Jews are very familiar, verse 21. Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. I think this is the point of the previous verses. The Jews are very familiar with the teachings of Moses and will be bothered by these these eating practices and definitely by sexual immorality practiced among the Gentiles. You know, when when Christians are first converted, all their sins don't magically disappear. They still have to work through them. And sexual immorality, if it's been a big part of their culture, it's going to remain for some time. The church there, James says, this is what we need to do to help with this problem. Just avoid it for the sake of your brethren. They might be the one with the weaker conscience. Avoid it. Well, that's the text. Heart circumcision. Is your heart changed? Do you belong to the kingdom of God? Do you testify publicly that God has changed you? Not on the outside, on the inside. Dr. Brunson used to preach about inside-out change, and I agree completely. Christians sometimes try to clean people up on the outside and get them to quit cussing and smoking and watching rated R movies, and somehow that's going to clean up their inside. That's not going to work. You know, young ladies, wear longer dresses. That'll help your heart. 
whether or not we agree with those sentiments, the change needs to happen on the inside. And it'll work its way out if the heart has changed. But if it's not, I mean, you can clean up a pig, but it's still a pig. You can clean up, to, to be better, you can clean up a tomb and make it look very pretty, but inside it's still rotten and ugly and putrid. If God's changed you, when you hear the scriptures, if you love it, but you've not come and been and be, been baptized publicly, you should be. There's no reason to wait for some magic time. If you know you believe, tell us so we can baptize you and you can have the full blessings of the church. And if God's changed you, amen. He, he's delivered us from darkness unto light. Circumcised hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd cause us to be humble, that we would know that our hearts were definitely miserable and hard and dead. And you had mercy on us. You gave us the Spirit. You worked faith in us. You're sustaining us now, even giving us peace and rest. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to understand these things in the Scriptures more as we think about them in the days ahead. And that you'd help us to really believe, strengthen our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.